thank you, Father, for the opportunity one more time this side of eternity to open the book of God and to read its pages and discern its message. I ask you to touch us, O oh Lord, today with open-mindedness and a heart that is attuned with you and your will. And we ask you, God, to touch me, O oh Lord, this unworthy vessel of God. Help me, O oh God, to speak the things that you have told me in my study. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and my Redeemer. Amen and amen. There is a little house in North Carolina in the Unicoi Mountains, and that place is known as the home of J.C. Murphy. It has meaning to us because it's where the first General Assembly of the Church of God was ever held. I love to go there periodically, and haven't been in a while, but I was, last time I was there, it's just really something to sit in that room and realize the first 17 people uh, came together. They came from all kind of backgrounds, and they assembled because they had a hunger for more of God. They had a hunger, a deep yearning for something more than just a casual church attendance and church worship and church uh, service. They believed there had to be something more, that we could have a more intimate walk with God and could know Him in a more powerful presence than, than they would, had ever had before. And the, the Bible tells us that the promise is unto you and to your children, your children's children, unto them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord thy God shall call. And he said, said also that in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And upon my servants and upon my handmaidens in those days will I pour out of my spirit. That's interesting that God pours out his spirit upon us. Amen. It's an activity very similar to what happened when a priest was anointed in, in Israel. The Old Testament tells us that when a priest would go into the Holy of Holies and would go about offering the sacrifice and would wash in the golden laver and rightly divide on the, the showbread on the, on the table and go in to give atonement for the sins of the people. There was an anointing that was given to him. And uh, the Bible describes that. It was in a, a container that's called a hen of oil, H-I-N. And it contained six quarts of oil. Brother, when they anointed, I mean, it was a saturation. It wasn't just a dew drop. And it wasn't just a smear across the forehead. In fact, the Bible said that the anointing oil ran down the garments of Aaron and puddled up around him. The anointing oil was so powerful. And hey, it was such an aromatic thing that the Bible says there was 250 shekels of calamus, 250 shekels of myrrh, 250 shekels of cassia, and all of those have meaning if I had the time to tell you what that composition 
signifies to every one of us. One is the root and one is the berry. One is from the branch. And all of them have to do uh, with some spiritual significance, but that's a sermon for another time. Suffice it to say that that anointing oil had a very, very wonderful fragrance to it. In fact, when you would anoint or when they would anoint, you could smell it all over the house. The aroma was so sweet and so influential. In fact, that aroma was so powerful that when they walked outside and walked the streets of Jerusalem, uh, someone could meet them on the street and would kind of sniff a little bit and say, well, they've evidently been over to the temple because I can smell the anointing upon them. Ooh, I'm about to preach now. I still believe that's the way God anoints. And I still believe that everybody in the house is aware when the anointing is poured out. I believe that not only people in the house are aware, I believe that people outside, that when we go out of here, a vessel of the Lord, that we go out of here with that anointing oil upon us. And that the fragrance and the evidence caused people to see that we have been in a place where the anointing fell and where the anointing came down. Amen. That, that sweet aroma, that wonderful... In fact, the Bible said how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that flowed down Aaron's garment and puddled up in the floor. I believe people outside the walls of the church will know when you're anointed. I believe when you've come from a, you know, the crowd said one time, they took note of them that they had been with Jesus. They took note of them that they had been. You see, being with Jesus and being anointed, that makes a difference in your life. It makes things happen in your life that just don't happen to ordinary folks. It causes people to notice in you a Christ-likeness that is not evident apart from that baptism in the Spirit. I believe that with all of my heart. I also believe that in these last days, God desires to pour out His Spirit upon every believer, upon every candidate who desires and inquires about that blessing, I believe God wants you to be pleased and be blessed with what He does for you in the way of imparting to you the Holy Spirit. I believe that. I believe these are the days of the Spirit. You know, the Bible teaches us that without faith it is impossible to please God. Impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That means there is no spiritual understanding apart from God's revelatory intervention into our mind and our, our heart. Amen. To know the Father is to know the Son. And to encounter the Holy Spirit, a seeker must receive the wisdom that first begins with the fear of the Lord. The Bible said the beginning of wisdom is the, the fear of the Lord. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So for every one of us, if you want wisdom, the Bible said ask of the Lord. Ask of the Lord. Recognize Him as the source of that, that uh, thing you're praying about and thing you're inquiring the Lord about. 
1 John 5 and 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, what we believe is in the Trinitarian concept of God. We believe that our God consists of three persons, namely the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that these three make up what we call the Godhead. The Godhead consists of these three personalities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three, the Bible said, are one. They are one in in name, they are one in aim, they are one in purpose and will, they are one in the attributes. All the attributes are shared by each of the three persons. In other words, they all three are omnipotent. That means they have all power. They all three are omniscient, which means they know everything. And they are all three omnipresent, which means they can be everywhere at one time. Praise God. While God is doing something here in this church in Anniston, Alabama, in another part of the world, at another time zone, he can be doing something there that is so extraordinary and so, so powerful. That, that's because all three personalities of the Trinity are God in one, and God, three persons are one God. And I want to tell you that everything God has ever done, he has done in community. What he does, he does in community. That means that what he does, he does it in agreement with the other persons of the Godhead. Now, we know that all of creation is there because of God. We are who we are because of God. God created all things. One preacher said he looked out into nothing and made everything and then took everything and hung it on nothing and said, stay there. Wow. Well, I know this, that by the word of his mouth, the Bible said the worlds were created. And the Bible said that by the word of the Lord Jesus, that all things consist by the word of his mouth, that everything survives because of God and who he is. The Bible tells us in First. Brother John, one and one, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. Now, the Word is the pre-incarnate. That's just a big word for saying before he became flesh, pre-incarnate. The pre-incarnate word or name for Jesus was Word of God. The Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Or they dwelt together with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was present with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was with God, but He was also God Himself. Amen. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a replacement God. And the Holy Spirit is not a secondary God. The Holy Spirit is not some object of our, our mystic uh, self that would create a look-alike and that kind of thing. No, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, 
of God is God, the third person of the Godhead. Yes, he is. He is very much God. Now, the Bible says in John 3 and 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it come and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Everyone that is born of the Spirit. Brother Jerry, have you ever seen the Holy Ghost? No. He is invisible to my mortal, fleshly, finite eye. I have never seen the Spirit of God. I've never seen the wind. But I see what it does, and I know it's there because I see the effect of what's going on when the wind blows. I see the trees as they wave, and, and I, I, I see uh, birds as they flap their wings in the wind. I can't see the wind. No, I have never seen the wind. But I know it's there because I see the effects of it. Does that make any sense? And so it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. I don't pretend to tell you that I know all things and that I have the handle on every situation when it pertains to the Holy Spirit. That's because he is God and because my ways are not his ways. And his ways are so far above my ways as far as the heaven is above the earth. Our God is beyond comprehension. Our God is beyond our ability, beyond our language, beyond there are no words really to describe our God. We do the best we can with what we've got by calling him all of those uh, sovereign God. The, the eternal God. We, we give all of those kind of names, but we can never get a word that totally and completely defines him. Oh, boy. He is not limited by anything. He is an unlimited. God's complaint to Israel on one occasion was, why have you limited me? Why have you limited me? So God can only be limited in our belief in Him, our faith in Him. That's the only thing that can limit our God because He can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we are able to think or to ask. He is greater than I can imagine. He is greater than I can conjecture or speculate. He's greater than any words I can use to describe. He is greater. Hallelujah. More powerful than anything I can perceive in my mind. He is exceedingly and abundantly above all that I am able to think or ask. Isn't that wonderful? So it is with people who are born of the Spirit. It's like the wind that blows where it listeth and it blows where it, where it pleases because it is invisible, but it blows where it listeth. So it is also with they that are of the Spirit of God. Paul called all of that that I've been preaching about for these last few minutes about the mystery of godliness. 
Great is the mystery of godliness. A mystery in what way? In the fact that we are unable to explain spiritual things. Now the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Unaided by the Spirit, no person can understand spiritual things. Have you ever tried to explain some spiritual thing to a person who is unconverted? Have you ever tried to explain salvation to someone who really doesn't know what you're talking about? And they probably will tell you, well, that's foolishness. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. The Bible said the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Foolishness. The Bible calls preaching the foolishness of preaching. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them that they might be saved. You mean lost people are wearing blinders? You mean that people that are perishing don't have any spiritual sight? It's exactly what I'm saying to you. If the gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, lest the light should shine unto them that they might be saved. Spiritually, it's impossible for a person to perceive spiritual things if he is not aided by the Spirit. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual. Now, spirituality is not demonstrativity. So many times we think that we've had a spiritual service if we shout. Sometimes we think we've had a spiritual service if everybody claps and everybody's really enthused and excited and the music gets you... Don't confuse spirituality with demonstrativity. The reason you, that's dangerous is because demonstrativity will lead you astray. In other words, there's a lot of folks shouting that hadn't got any business shouting. And that's because their lives don't match that profession of faith. You don't want to give you a real good way to find Spiritual people, fruit, fruit, by a tree's fruit ye shall know it. In other words, walnuts don't grow on apple trees. Coconuts don't grow on pear trees. How do you know what kind of tree a tree is? Look around on the ground and see the fruit. And then you know what that tree is. 
What are the fruit of the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, goodness, faith, patience, and temperance. Those nine graces are not extracurricular. They're not optional. They're mandatory for God and us. And so many churches are deficient because they don't have fruit. When Jesus looked at the fig tree, he cursed the fig tree. Why? Because it wasn't pretty? Because it was sitting on the side of the road? Because it uh, had too much leaves on it? Because it uh, didn't look pretty in where it was put? Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Why? Because it had no fruit. Jesus is a fruit kind of preacher. He expects there to be fruit where seed, gospel seed is planted. He expects fruit to be the result of it. The Bible said we have our fruit unto holiness and in the end everlasting life. God is so powerful in what he does and God's intentional and his purpose is so important to every one of us. As a person, the Holy Spirit speaks and he hears. As the third member of the Godhead, he comforts us. He testifies of Jesus, John 15, 26. He intercedes and he prays, Jude 1 and 20. He directs ministry, Acts 6 and 16. He teaches and reveals and searches. He comforts and encourages and helps. He leads in the right path. He flows like a river. He anoints with power. He falls on believers. He dwells in believers. He helps our infirmities. He empowers our preaching. And he secures us in Christ by baptism. He is a person. And as a person, he has feelings. There are times when the Holy Spirit is made sad. The Bible said, Ephesians 4 and 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Don't make him sad. You know what it means for someone to have grief, don't you? Sadness and sorrow. Well, what is it then, Pastor, that makes the Holy Spirit grieve at us? Well, grab your seatbelt. It can't be anything else but sin in our lives. Offends because the Bible said, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. If the Holy Spirit is present and doing His work in your life, there are times when He convicts you. And how many of you know what conviction feels like? Tough, isn't it? Feel like you stole a mule. Conviction is when you know that you're not what you ought to be. Conviction is... Let's you know you're missing the mark. Conviction lets you know that you're falling short. Conviction is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that helps us stay on the right path. 
The Holy Spirit in our lives is a comfort. He comes alongside. In fact, the word is paraclete, P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E, paraclete. In Greek, it would parakletos, the divine parakletos. And it means this, one who comes alongside of. You mean the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is one who comes alongside of? Us? Jesus called him the Comforter. And he said, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, when he has come, he will testify of me. Glory to God. You see, I don't believe a person can be full of the Holy Ghost without loving Jesus. I don't believe that a person can... have the Holy Ghost and not be head over heels in love with Jesus. I believe if someone has the Holy Ghost, when you preach about Jesus, it will strike a note in their heart. I believe that if someone has the Holy Ghost, when you sing a song, sing me a song about Jesus. When you sing about Jesus, I believe people have the Holy Ghost, they'll raise a hand or there'll be a smile on their face. Something, there'll be some kind of response when you start talking about Jesus, why? Because the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, He will testify of me. The Holy Spirit's main job is lifting up Jesus. The Holy Spirit's greatest objective is to get you to be a worshiper. Boy, that went over your head. I said the Holy Spirit's main objective in his presence in your life is to help you to become a worshiper. He's all about worship. He's all about conditioning your heart and conditioning your life, your habits, your, your, your deeds, your walk, he wants to adjust your walk so that your walk will be in line for worship. For worship. You see, the Bible tells us this. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Best way to live right I know is walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means that He's directing, that you're not directing Him, He's directing you. You're not manipulating Him, He's manipulating you. He, you're not leading Him, He's leading you. You're not guiding Him, He's guiding you. Anybody know what I'm preaching about this morning? The Holy Spirit is a guide. He leads and He guides, the Bible said, into all the truth. He will lead you and He will guide you into all the truth. How many wants to be led in the truth? Certainly don't want me to be led in a lie. The greatest blessing to discovering truth in your life is to follow the leadership and the direction of the Holy Spirit. 
He will lead you and guide you and direct you into all the truth. That means there are times when he says yes, and there are times when he says no. When I pastor, I've been with you all morning, but you just now might have lost me. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that the disciples had plans to go in a certain direction to a certain place. And the Bible said, and we were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to go and were instructed to go another way. Have you ever been forbidden by the Holy Ghost to do something? Have you ever had the Spirit of God to be so authoritative and in charge of your life that He forbade you to do something because He had another direction for you to go? Or it was because He knew that if you continued on that road you were on that there was going to be some disaster down the road and He forbade you to keep going that way? Wow. If the Holy Spirit is such a real presence in our life and He forbids us to do some things, then how much more should we say then lead me and guide me into all the truth? Help me, Lord, to discover the truth. The Holy Spirit has feelings. He sometimes is angry. Hmm. In fact, sometimes we not only make him sad by grieving the Holy Spirit of God, we anger the Spirit of God. And wh how do we do that? Quench the Spirit. It not only saddens him, it angers him. He anointed Paul to tell Timothy, quench not the Spirit. Don't do that. If the Spirit is doing something in your life, don't quench that. Don't put that light out. Don't turn that light off. Don't put that fire out. So many times God has wanted to do something in your life and you quenched the Spirit so that He didn't get to finish and do what He wanted to do in your life. And let me tell you who loses in that proposition. You do. Quench not the Spirit, but yield yourself as servants of righteousness. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. So there's two negatives and one positive. Don't quench, don't grieve, but walk in. Praise God, that's good stuff. But walk in the Spirit. And that's what I call the conditions of true spirituality. The conditions. You see, God said, my Spirit will not always strive with the man. 
The Holy Spirit is too much of a gentleman to stay in a place where he isn't wanted. The Holy Spirit is too much of a gentleman to remain in a place where he's ignored. The Holy Spirit is too much of a gentleman to stay in a place where he's troubling more people than he's making glad. He won't always strive with you. Won't always strive with you. It's important that we recognize the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what He does in the church and does in our lives. The Bible said they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit, Isaiah 63 and 10. So He turned and became their enemy, and He Himself fought against them, Matthew 12, 31. And so I tell you, every kind of sin, every kind of slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. When Stephen looked at that council, he said, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. They hardened their hearts and stiffened their neck against what the Holy Spirit was trying to do. And the Bible said, Stephen said, you've, you've always done that, and you're still doing it. And you're resisting the Holy Ghost. Resisting the Holy Spirit. Resisting the Spirit of God. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God under feet and treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? That's Hebrews 10, 29. Wow. In that creative moment when Jesus was present, the Word was present, and the Word was spoken, let there be, and there was. And then the, the sixth day God made man, male and female made he them. In the image and the likeness of God made he them. Image and likeness of God. I've already said to you, our God consists of three persons. If we're made in His image, then we also consist of three parts. Name the parts, Pastor. Well, body, of course. That's the one you can see. That's the house. Body. It's the earthly house of this tabernacle. That's where the real me lives, is in this house. The real me who lives on the inside, you can't see. And it's called soul and spirit. So we consist of body, soul, and spirit. The only part of us that ever dies is the house that we live in. Death means a separation of soul and spirit from the body. So when a righteous person or a wicked person dies, their soul and their spirit leaves this house. Leaves this house. Leaves this house. So soul and spirit, the Bible said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God that your whole soul, your body, and your spirit be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord. 
so that it's imperative that we keep the triune part of us in good standing with God. Not only was the Spirit present, the Bible said that the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. The Bible said that the Spirit was present in that creative event. Now, I believe that God's Word tells us that in the last days, He said, I will do a new thing. A new thong. New thing. In fact, did He not say, I will give you a new song to sing? A new song? Did the Bible not say that He would resurrect us to walk in newness of life? Boy, I'll go through them in a minute, but there's a whole catalog of scriptures that tell us about a new heaven and a new earth, walking in newness of life, a new and living way. All of those are part of what God does in His creative activity. Making all things creation was when God took nothing. The Hebrew word is ex helio. Ex helio. It literally means out of nothing. And out of nothing, God made all the things. Out of nothing, just speak the word, and the creative word of God caused everything to come into existence that we see. Wow. Colossians 1 tells us that how things were created, how God went about that that business of creating the world. And the Bible said that Jesus, the Word, the Word was the creation, the power that drove the creative event. Done, powered by Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, accepted by the Father. Glory to God. He made all things. Not all things consist by the Word of God. That Jesus is the key that unlocks everything. Jesus is the person of the Trinitarian concept that makes everything work. Hallelujah! So when man messed up God's creation, when man committed what is called the original sin, the initial sin, the sin that we all inherit. Adam was our federal head. Joey would have to help us understand federal, the concept of federal. Every one of us were represented by Adam and Eve. And when they fell in the garden, because they were our federal head. The Bible said, and then sin came upon all. For by one man sin entered into the world. And the Bible said, and death by sin. For by one man's transgression, death came unto us all. But by one man's obedience... By one man's obedience, then the curse was reversed. And in Adam, 
all die. When God created things, he meant for that to be forever. When God created things, he created us to live forever. Put us in a garden. Put us in paradise. No pain, no sorrow, no COVID. No cancer. No leukemia. No Alzheimer's. He intended for us to live forever. But when we fail, we mess that up. So then God would not be defeated. And God would pursue after His eternal purpose given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. I said His eternal purpose given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You mean before we ever were Jesus in eternity past before the world began that God's creation project when Adam and Eve messed that up by one man's sin and death came upon us all then for God then to reverse what Adam did there had to be a project of creation a second phase number two number one didn't work tried but number one didn't work so God who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us even while we were dead in trespasses and in sins hath quickened us together with Christ that means just like he made Jesus alive who was dead he hath quickened us together with Christ, and hath made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show unto us the exceeding richness of his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of ourselves, Lest any man should boast, it is the gift of God. Tenth verse, second chapter of Ephesians. For we are his workmanship. We who are creation project number two. We are his workmanship created. Somebody say created. Created. So you see, God didn't just close the book 
on creation number one. God didn't just give up and turn his back and walk away from creation number one. God would not be defeated. So he authored creation number two. And you became his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Created. Created. Boy, somebody ought to be in the aisle. Created. Created in Christ Jesus. What a blessing we have today to sit in this house of worship as the workmanship of God. Working on me. Faye told me she's been around this place for 80 years. And she's still saying, he's working on me. Been preaching all these years, and I would say to you, he's still working on me. I'm his workmanship. I'm, I'm just one big construction project. And before you look down your ecclesiastical nose at me, I need to tell you, you are a construction site too. And sitting close by you are some more construction sites. In fact, in every seat in this auditorium who's sitting here is a construction site. And you'll be a construction site until the Holy Spirit presents you blameless before the Father Hallelujah, when we get to that day. And until then, he's going to be working on you. If you get close enough to me, you'll hear the hammer chiseling away the things that shouldn't be in my life, the things that don't look like Jesus. If you get close enough to me, you'll hear the sander buzz because there are things that need to be sanded and buffed that don't belong because they don't look like Jesus. If you get close enough to me, you'll hear the splashing of the water washing the dust and the sand off of me. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, I'm just one big construction project, and the Holy Spirit is working on me. Why? Because I'm created. I'm created in righteousness and true holiness. Creation. He's still working on his creation project. He's still working on getting us to that place, creating within us something great for the glory of God. Wow. Colossians 1.15 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Are you watching that? Put first, well, Colossians first chapter and 15th verse. Put that up there for me. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, are you hearing this? Verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things, somebody say all things, 
all things were created by him and for him. Hallelujah. Hmm. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things were created for him, and by him all things consist. That son came up this morning because Jesus God's heaven functions because it's Jesus heaven and it consists by him the stars that twinkle at night consist by him the moon that will shine this night will shine because of him all things were made for him and all things consist by him so next time the devil tells you what all he's going to do and the next time the devil threatens you and tells you you're a nobody from nowhere and you don't have anything, and you don't have hope, and you don't have a future, and you're lost, and you're undone, and you don't know God, and God doesn't care about you, tell him, say, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Bible and the preacher preached last Sunday that all things were made for him, and by him all things consist. When did you get so big in your britches that you think you, are the one who makes things consist. All things consist by Him, and all things are for Him. Oh, boy, that's good. I love that. Verse 19, verse 18. And He is the head of the body, the church. The head of the body. That means the head of the church is Jesus. That means the one who owns it all and the one that it was made for is the head of the church. Now, I need to let that soak a little bit because you, you need to understand that. But the one who owns it all and the one who makes it all work is the head of the church. Head of the body, head of the church, who is the beginning, and he's the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. That means superiority. Could I ask you, does Jesus have superiority in your life right now? Could I ask you that the one who created all things and that all things consist by him, is he the head of your life? If he is the head of the church, he's the head of our lives. Is he head of your life? Is your life created for him? And does your life exist by him? 
For the one who created the worlds is the head of the body. If he's the head of the body, then he deserves superiority and he deserves preeminence. Boy, that's powerful stuff. For it pleased the Father that in Jesus should all the fullness of the Godhead dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be in things in heaven or things in the earth. Now you're getting this. Who is the head of the body who has all the preeminence, got the fullness of all things, whether they be in earth or in heaven? All things were created by him. So when he says, I'm going to do something new, it means that he first took nothing and made something out of it. In his second creative part, he's going to use resurrection to take something that was, that died, and he's going to bring it back together again, bring it back alive. And who is that, Pastor? That is you, my friend. That's you. You were dead, but you were raised up with Christ, and He made you to sit in a special place, in a heavenly place, and that everything in this earth was made by Him, and everything in heaven was made by Him. And the Bible said that there came a time in heaven when the Bible said, and there was a new heaven, and there was a new earth, for the former was passed away, and there was no more sea. You mean creation is going to keep on going? It started in the beginning, and it's keeping on going now, and that heaven is being prepared now, and that the earth is changing now, that all the things are going on are because of who it belongs to and who it was made for, and that he is the head of the church, the head of the body of Christ, and he's a creator of new heavens and new earth. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. You know who that is, don't you? You, the Bible said, are the righteousness of God. This new creation that he's doing, it's going to be a... Come on, Olivia. Lord of mercy. I wish I had two hours. Titus 3 and 5 talks about this... Redoing and Colossians connects the creation of the universe through the Son by the Spirit activity in both the resurrection of Jesus and now in the church. And as Colossians 1 tells us, it was not just the initial creation of the universe that Jesus was involved in, but that was a signpost that was pointing us about things to come. And on that signpost, there are some things written. Number one, regeneration. How many of you believe in regeneration? Raise your hand. Regeneration. What in the world, pastor, is regeneration? 
It means to take something that died and give it new life. Regeneration. Regenerate. Now in the creation, in the beginning, in Genesis 1 and 1 and 1 and 2, when the Spirit was there involved in creation, Nothing, out of nothing, he took out of nothing, ex nileha. He took out of nothing and made something. And in the second creation, he's going to take something and make out of something that had died, come back to life, be resurrected, being raised up together with Christ, be brought back to what God originally meant us to be. And it's called regeneration. Regeneration. It's a redoing. Put it up there for me, Titus 3 and 5. All you works righteousness people, Perk up your ears. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. You didn't create it. God created it. You can't even create it for yourself because it's not by works of righteousness. Oh, you can just work, 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 work. But you'll never, ever deserve or earn being a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Well, Brother Jerry, I didn't know God was still creating. He, he is. It's just creation number two. And that's us. That's me and you. It's called the church. Ecclesia. It means called out ones. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy hath He saved us. By the washing. Are you washed? I said, are you washed? By the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. What does the Holy Ghost have to do with my regeneration? The Holy Ghost is the agent that washes you and cleanses you and makes you fit for the new creation. Hallelujah. Man, that's good stuff. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Have you experienced that renewing of the Holy Ghost? Have you had that translation out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son? Have you had that washing are you washed in the blood and the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? 
Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm washed, washed by the washing of regeneration and the renewal. The regeneration, the recreation, the new giving of life. Washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost. Not only is there re regeneration, there's re revelation. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. I love this passage. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard. Why? Because it hadn't been created yet. It hadn't been completed yet. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither have entered the heart of man the things God hath prepared for them that love them, that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Wow. The revelation, walking in the light, walking in the Spirit, and God reveals to us the things that eyes have not seen, that ears have not heard. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Listen to this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Why have we received the spirit of God? That we might, are you ready for this? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak? Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Brother Jerry, why do I need the Holy Ghost? So you'll know the things. Why do I need the Spirit of God? So you will know the things that are freely given to us. If you don't know about it, you're not going to claim it. Maybe what you think you ought to have, you haven't received yet because you haven't claimed it. The Holy Spirit may have showed it to you, but you haven't claimed it yet. The Holy Spirit may have put it in your heart and put it in your mind and put it in your spirit, but you haven't claimed it yet. Why? 
Wow. Which things we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. You can't learn it out of a book. But which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Listen. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Well, we got started this morning on this topic of Holy Spirit baptism. Haven't got anywhere near the New Testament and getting into what happened on the day of Pentecost and all of those good things. That'll wait till another Sunday. I told you we may chase this for a long time. But I hope that we'll come out on the other side of this teaching knowing more about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We think too small. It is so controversial, this thing called the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit baptism. But I want to tell you, any gospel that doesn't have the Holy Spirit revealed in it, that's not much gospel. It doesn't have any power. It doesn't have any excitement. It doesn't have any enthusiasm. It doesn't have any spiritual worship and singing spiritual songs. and It doesn't have any making melody in your heart. It's just perfunctory. It's just form. And that's what happens to a church sometimes. They drift into form and drift into being an institution rather than be God's people. When the church ceases to be God's people, then we'll lose our influence and we'll lose our testimony. But as long as you've got spiritual understanding... And you've got spiritual fruit, spiritual gifts, then God can use the spiritual part of your church to win lost people to God. If my people who are called by my name, who are part of the second creation, who are part of this eye-opening experience called spirit baptism if my people called by my name will humble themselves biggest hindrance to the Holy Spirit doing his will in your life is pride if my people will humble themselves now, don't ask God to do that because you won't like it if you want Him to do it. If He humbles you, you won't like that. It's better to do it yourself. He put a king on his all fours one time in humbling him. A man had leprosy one time because he wouldn't humble himself. His name was Naaman, the prophet under the unspeakable unction of the Holy Spirit said to him go and wash dip seven times in Jordan and you'll be cleansed of your leprosy Naaman the Bible said was a mighty man of valor 
when he heard what the prophet, the prophet didn't even come out. He told his servant, Gehazi, said, go out there and tell Naaman to go over to the river, Jordan, and dip seven times and he'll be healed. And when Gehazi went out and told him, he said, the prophet said for us to tell you that if you'll go over to the river at Jordan and dip seven times, you'll be healed. He said, well, I thought that he would come out here and wave his hand over me. I thought that he'd come out here and speak some statesman-like word over me. And Jordan River, the rivers of Farfar and the rivers of Abana are clear and they're beautiful, but Jordan is muddy. Why can't I go to Farfar or Abana one? Why do I have to go to that muddy river Jordan and dip seven times? Besides, somebody might see my chariot parked over there. But Sam, the Bible said he finally went and he got over to the Jordan River and he dipped one time and he was still a leper. He dipped the second time and he was still a leper. Dipped the third time, still a leper. Four, five, six, and he's still a leper. If he'd have walked out of that water, he died a leper because the Spirit said seven. And when he dipped that seventh time and he came up out of that water, the Bible said his skin was as a baby's skin. Moral of the story, do what God says do. Let the Spirit lead. Let the Spirit direct. Let the Spirit show you the way. And do what He says. I said, do what He says. If you'll do what He says, He'll do miracles in your life. Stand with me, please. Well, I'm going to enjoy this. I like talking about the Holy Ghost. Love talking about the Holy Spirit. I love talking to people who could have potential. Show them their areas where you can potentially get better. Why is that, Pastor? Get more of the Holy Ghost. Get more of the Spirit of God in your life. If you get more of the Holy Spirit and you get more of God's grace and presence in your life, you can't help but grow. You'll grow. You'll grow in grace. Want to do more for God? Tell the Lord, I want more of your power, more of your presence, more of your spirit. Want to have a song in the midst of the night? Tell God, Lord, I want you to give me that comfort of the Holy Spirit that I can sing the Lord's song even when I'm in a strange land. I want you to give me, O oh Lord, that attitude of victory, that attitude of overcoming, that attitude so that I can worship you, Lord, knowing that you're the God who delivers. Lord, let me have more of your spirit, more of your presence in my life. I want to feel you more than I've ever felt you before. I want you to do things in my life that you've never done before. I want you to take me to a place I've never been before. I want to know you better than I've ever known you before. 
Brother, when you start praying like that, he said this promise to you. If you'll seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me, you'll find me. Father God, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to preach this gospel message. I thank you for these people that are gathered in your name, all of us children of God, children of the Holy Spirit. And I ask you, God, to let these words, God, that we've spoken today from your word, these scriptures we put up on the screen to help people better understand what the Holy Spirit does in our life and who He is. God, as we go through this week, I just pray that you'll provide occasions for us to let the anointing of God affect people around us. Let us speak words of encouragement and words of kindness and words of tenderness and words of forgiveness, words of love. God, help us to do that. Those are the fruit of the Spirit and they aid us in winning this lost world. Dismiss us now from this place, but not your sight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen, amen and amen.